0: All right, so today we're going to talk about this idea of um, substitutionary atonement, right? Which is a pretty big church word, right? Uh, there's a lot of syllables, um, several different letters, you know, and, um, but if we boil it down to its essence, it's, it's, but uh, <laughs> well, still pretty complicated. But we can simplify some terms here. So substitution, right? Um, you, you've ever had a, a teacher that didn't show up and you had a, yeah, substitute, right? That's the idea of substitution. There was a teacher; they couldn't make it. They, you know, maybe they're sick or whatever it is, and so someone shows up in their place, right? And, and substitutes for them. And then the idea of atonement is that there's been a wrong, right? And and, and so maybe you guys have never, you guys have never offended anyone, right? Oh, yeah. No, never. Anybody oh, yeah. ever? Um, you know, so all of us have offended someone at some point. And in some of them, we didn't mean to, right? And, and so then when you've offended somebody that you didn't mean to, you go to them and you, you, what do you do? You apologize because what are you trying to do? You're trying to make things right, right? You're trying to make atonement for the fact that you kind of blew it there earlier, right? Is everybody with me? And that's the whole idea of atonement. So the idea of substitutionary atonement is that there has been a wrong and there has been amends made for it by somebody else. Everybody with me so far? Got it? Spoiler alert, we're kind of, we're talking about Jesus, okay? Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed the pictures on the wall. Um, and and so as I was kind of working this idea out, like originally, um, this week's painting, if you notice, it's it's really, it's kind of the only one that's in the red, right? Like it's the only one that's kind of in there. And that's not an accident, right? That is on purpose, right? Because like the thing that ties all these things together that we've looked at over the last six weeks is this, this: what Jesus did on the cross, right? Like it ties it all together. This idea of atonement is tied together on the cross. And so as we look at this idea this week, um, I don't know, I'm just, uh, I'm pretty excited about this idea. So just in case you think that this idea of substitution uh substitutionary atonement or substitution is just kind of a churchy word right that it really doesn't apply to the rest of life or that maybe the rest of culture isn't necessarily affected by it I wanna I wanna kinda do like a pop quiz thing and so this is not rhetorical I do want you to respond um, and I'm hoping that that goes well and so here's what the question is right and this is this is a simple one This is the only one we're gonna do because there are lots of other different directions we could go with this we could really get off in the weeds but but just this one question Have you guys ever seen a movie? That's the first one. Yes, okay. (laughs) Have you ever seen a movie where the main character died so that everybody else could live? Yep. 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 Huh. Can you think of any of those? Can you think of any of those movies? Like what are the what are the names of them? What are like what are they? Passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ. Okay, that's cheating. (laughs) That is that is cheating. Well played. You got me. There's some others though. There are some others. Have you got any? Because I've got a whole list of them. I actually did a pretty extensive Google search, which sounds super official on a Sunday morning. You know, huh? Constantine. Constantine. Okay. What else you got? What other movies? Can you think of just off the top of your head where the main character dies? Ripped. What? Ripped. R-I-P-D. Ripped. I don't. I haven't heard of that one. Okay. Uh, what else you got? Anybody? Anybody up here? Tale of Two Cities, right? Um, I got heard a Gladiator over here. That's a good one, right? Anybody? What did somebody said? Tiffany, did you talk? Where Iron Man died? Yeah, Avengers: Endgame. You're right. Iron Man does kind of. But bite, bite. spoiler alert: It's been five years. If you haven't seen it yet. <laughs> what? Save it, Private, Private Ryan. That was on the list. So um, the other ones that I thought of, just for the sake of time, and some of them maybe you won't have thought of as well, which would be cool. Uh, Braveheart, let's let's throw historical accuracy out the window, but he didn't die at the end of the movie, okay? Like uh, a couple of others, uh, The Matrix, right? So after the third one, it's a very, and if you look at the imagery and the way that they do that, like they're trying to draw some parallels there. Um, So the Lord of the Rings would have ended that way, but they knew a wizard with giant eagles, right? So Sam and Frodo on the side of the mountain, they kind of accepted their fate. And then Gandalf swoops in with, with his eagles and rescues him. If you haven't finished it yet, that's your fault, Sam. Okay. All right. I gave that book to you months ago, so there it is. And then just some others. That, uh, the, this other one that I thought uh, uh, is the the last one that I, I thought of was Harry Potter. Yeah. If you look at that, like the, the ending of Harry Potter, like these ideas of this this idea of 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 that there's, there's this battle and that somebody's got to sacrifice themselves in order for everybody else to live is this theme that comes up over and over and over and over and over, and over again in our culture, in, in our cultures, right? Like humanity-wide, this is a theme that, that just keeps coming up because it, there's a reason. It, it, it resonates, right? Like there's a truth in it that just rings. And when you see somebody do something like that, you automatically know, like that is it, like that is that's that is a life well lived, right? Like that's that's how you do it, right? Like he and and I don't know. Sometimes maybe I've gotten to the end of movies where the main character died and it was just dumb and there was no point. And you're like, what was that about? Like that's stupid. He didn't even save anybody. He's just dead, right? And those don't ring with the same truth, right? They don't they don't resonate the same way. And people blame anyway. Uh, we, I could really go on a tangent on this, but I'm not gonna. Because we're going to move on. We're going to move forward with this idea. And this idea, so every week we've been looking at like, okay, this idea, we've been looking at different kind of facets of the idea of atonement, right? And so this week we're looking at this idea of substitutionary atonement. And every week we look at these ideas of, you know, what, what's the real problem here? Like what is the crux of the issue, right? And then we look at what's the solution and we look at, you know, what did that solution, like what did this accomplish in real life? Like how can we relate to this? And so the problem this week, the whole need for substitutionary atonement, is that the penalty for sin is death, and we've all sinned, right? And if you need verses on that, Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, or or in the NLT, fallen short of God's glorious standard, right? We We all fall short of that standard, right? So we've all sinned. Um, we're going to talk about kind of a little bit of a, a narrative on that here in a little bit. But for right now, that's the blanket statement we're going to like, that's that's what the Bible says. You can accept it or not, that's up to you. But what the Bible says, and we choose to believe that the Bible is true, is that everyone has sinned. And because of that, we fall short of God's standards, right? And then in, in Romans 6, 23, it says that the wages of sin is death, Right? Now, it goes on to say, which is an amazing verse, but the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? Like, that's exciting. But don't skip that first part because everybody in here, uh, well, I don't know about everybody. Most everybody in here has at some point in time worked a job, right? And you work a job and you exchange your time. And for your time, they give you a wage, right? That's what you've earned by exchanging your time. They give you money, right? Well, the wage that our sin has earned is death. That's what we deserve because we have all done that, right? That's, that's how it goes. And so that's the problem, right? The penalty for sin is death, and we've all sinned. So what's the solution? Spoiler alert again, it's still Jesus. Uh, but we're going to talk about it just a little bit more in depth. Uh, and so we're going to start here, and I have skipped several slides There we go. Movie trivia. Didn't do that at all. Uh, The problem. There you go. Penalty for sin is death and we've all sinned. So we're catching up with catching up with myself. I'm not very good at these things. All right. So the solution is this. Jesus paid what our sin cost for us and in our place. Right. Okay. That's the solution. And so just as a by way of 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 continuing uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in Romans today just a heads up there's a whole lot of great stuff i mean Romans is great but in this anyway here we go so we're going to look at this passage here uh, and i don't think i put it on there nope oh yeah there it is nope that's the next one anyway <clears throat> we're going to look at this passage in Romans chapter 5 just really quick um just kind of this idea of like here's here's the solution here's the problem is we've all sinned sin earned us death but there's this solution here, and here it is in, in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles or, or get on your phones and turn that way, um, I thought as we were getting ready to start, I forgot to set out Bibles this morning, so that's my bad. Um, sorry about that. But here we go. You ready? Everybody ready? No. Romans 5, verse 6 through 11. That's where we're going to be. Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. Sorry about that, guys, on the Bibles. Okay, here it comes. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us While we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us a friend of God. That's the solution right there. The problem is we, we've all sinned. Sin means that we deserve death. But the solution to that problem is that Jesus came to earth. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And he's provided a way for us to have a relationship with Jesus. Right? That's... Uh, you guys look tired, and that's crazy right now, because that's super exciting. All right? Like, that's the answer. All these things that we go through in life that hurt, and, and all these, these these things that we can't fix, and all this brokenness that's all around us, that right there is the answer. So... You may be saying, what did this accomplish, right? What what did did all of this, you know, yeah, we've sinned. Yeah, Jesus died. But what, like, what did that accomplish? What did Jesus' death on the cross accomplish? What did his resurrection accomplish, right? And I'm going to go through several passages here today. This next one's coming up is in Romans 6. If you want to turn there, it's just a page flip for you. Um, And and the thing I want you to understand is that, like, I'm just going to look at a couple of passages. They're, they're longish. Okay. But the reality is, is that like, I'm not even going to be able to scratch the surface of the answer to this question. Okay. I just want to make that there are going to be things that I don't cover because we just don't have that much time this week. Right. Uh, and I mean like the whole week, <laughs> right? Like we could do this. We could do this every day, all day for the next ye- several years and not cover all of the things that were accomplished by Jesus dying on the cross. It is literally the like the linchpin and the center point of all of human history. Right? From creation to the end of time, the main event was that right there. Like from, from the time that God created and Adam and Eve made the choice to let sin enter the world, everything has been leading up to this point. So we're going to look at these passages, and I just want you to understand, like, this is just glancing the surface. And so what my hope is, is that by glancing that surface, it generates this energy and this passion where you guys want to go home and look at this on your own, because, man, God speaks through his word, and he doesn't need me, and he doesn't need Stephen, and he doesn't need Luke. He just, he wants, he needs you, Right? So here it is. Romans six. Well, then what should we, Paul is, is talking to the, 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 Roman church and, and basically they've got this idea that, that if, if they sin a whole bunch, that makes God's grace bigger, right? Like God has to show them more grace and God being more gracious is better. So I might as well keep on having a good time. And what they're doing is they're using that to justify continuing to live the way they want to. Right. They're wanting to have their cake and eat it too, right? I don't know if that's an expression here, but um, that's what they're wanting, right? They want to keep on sinning and doing what they want and still be forgiven. And so they're wanting the best of both worlds, right? Or not actually, it's not the best of both. But anyway, that's another discussion. So Paul says, "What, what then? Should we keep on sinning? I don't know. Yeah. Should we keep on sinning? So that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we, were joined, we joined Him in His death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory, glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives." Since we have had or since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin for we died with Christ. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Sorry. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give "...into sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin no longer is, your ma- is, is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace." Well then, since God grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching when, he, uh, when we have given you. Now you are free, from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living, so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do. Things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And I know that that's a super long chunk to just like blast at you, right? Like I get that. But I just don't want you to miss. There's so much gold in that chapter. And that's the whole chapter, by the way. I just read the whole chapter 6 of Romans to you, I think. Um, So what did it accomplish? If we look at this passage, what do we glean from that based on what we're talking about right now? A couple of things. Freedom from sin, right? They're already on there. I know. Spoiled it. Freedom from sin unity with Christ. We're united with Him through His death, burial, and resurrection, right? Like when we are baptized, there is something that goes on and happens when we go down and come up. We, are, we go into the water, old self. We come out of the water, new self, right? Does that mean that miraculously we've got it all figured out and we never sin again? No, but it means that we start that journey, right? We start walking towards God. We start chasing Him with the rest of our lives, And then the the, the third thing here that I've got is is, is that because of all of that, we've got this opportunity to have a relationship with God. Think about that, because it's incredible. We did not have that coming. We did not deserve that. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, we get to experience it. We could have never done that on our own. It's just, I don't know, pretty incredible. All right, here we come. Next passage, yeah. Second Corinthians, chapter five. We're going to be verse fourteen through twenty-one, and I'll give you a second to turn your pages or your cell phone. See, it's easier in youth group with little kids when because. when they find their verse, they just put their Bible on their head for sword drills, right? Have you guys ever done? No. We do this thing at home called sword drills. And, and what it is is we like, we yell out a passage, right? And then all the little kids will flip real quick to their Bible and they put their Bible on their head when they found it. And then whoever finds it first wins, right? Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Blake. I appreciate that very much. All right, here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. Here it comes. Either way. Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old self. He died for everyone so that those who received, and you notice the words, He died for everyone, right? He didn't die for Himself, He he died for us, right? He died for everyone so that those who received His new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, They will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. There's something incredible about realizing that you didn't deserve it at all. And something incredible about remembering that the only difference between you who knows Jesus and and this guy over here who maybe is living a life of sin isn't that you're better than them. It's that Jesus was better right? Is that you, it's not that Jesus, the, the only thing that makes a difference between you and Joe Sinner is that you have Jesus, not that you're a better person, right? That changes the way you look at the world. It changes the way you look at the people around you because you know that you didn't deserve it. And so there's none of this looking down your nose at other people's sin business, right? because you realize how ridiculous that idea is. Because your sin was just as bad. And your, your mistakes were just as foolish. Your choices were just as wrong. But you found Jesus. And I think the appropriate response to a broken world around us, instead of looking down our noses at it, which is, has been historically the position the church has taken in a lot of different times, right? I think the appropriate response is a broken heart of looking around at the world and going, man, I wish they had Jesus and hurting for the fact that they're still broken. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. I miss that. What is our job here on earth, Right. We are Jesus's representatives. We are his ambassadors. An ambassador isn't from around here, right? If you've got an American ambassador to Ireland, they're not from Ireland. They're from somewhere else. And if we're ambassadors of the kingdom, that means that our home isn't here. It's the kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God. It's, it's, It's heaven, right? That's where our home is. Anyway, it's very exciting. Um, Verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. (laughs) We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Isn't that incredible? So what are the things that this accomplishes? We look at this passage that very clearly talks about this idea of of this substitutionary atonement, right? Big fancy church word for we couldn't do it, so he did, right? Okay, this, this passage is very obviously saying that that is, that is our reality. Like if we believe in who Jesus was and what Jesus said, this is how it went down, right? So what does it accomplish according to Paul here in 2 Corinthians? It changes the way we view the world. We've already talked about that, but it's incredible and worth saying twice. We become new creations. Have you thought about that? Now, I know that sometimes we come to Jesus and we still feel like the old dirty chew, Right? there's holes, we've stepped in something terrible, it's unpleasant, you know, if somebody came along and picked us up, they go, ew, right? But the, that's how we feel. It's not necessarily the reality. The reality, spiritually speaking, is that Jesus has made you new. And even though you may not feel like it all the time, if you are in Jesus, you are a new creation. it also accomplishes this idea of reconciliation with God, right? It restores our relationship with Him. And in doing so, we become ambassadors for the kingdom, right? Which, and I've got this on here, and you can kind of see it, but the, the, really, the really interesting thing is that this, this job that Jesus has given us, to go out there and be the hands and feet of Jesus in this broken world, if we embrace it, it really leads to purpose, right? Have you ever felt like life was pointless? Have you ever thought about why? We talked yesterday a little bit about this idea of, of you know, our world, what do we focus on, right? We focus on accumulating more and more and more and more and more, right? And I got to tell you, like I and I say this, this is always a weird statement but it's true and so i use it because it is my experience right but i have i have two uncles that are both millionaires you know what universally they have about both of them that's true they're both miserable people right now don't get me wrong i love them both they're they're great like i enjoy being with them but if you boil it down and you get a couple drinks in them and you really ask them what's going on in their life they're miserable right and, and I could go into all the reasons why. There's a whole story for both of them. But the fact is, is that accumulating that stuff didn't do it. It didn't give their life purpose. They climbed that mountain, they got to the top, and they realized this was, this was it. And that's the collective experience of our world. As they get to the top of the mountain, they go, this is stupid. I don't, I don't even want any of this crap. I just collected it because everybody else had some. Right. What if instead of that, like what if we took this ambassadorship seriously and that that through that ambassadorship, instead of collecting things, we started giving. Right. Maybe maybe through acts of generosity, maybe it's monetary. Right. But what if we started giving our time? And not necessarily going out and going, hey, I, you know, I want you to come to church, so I'm going to do this stuff for you. But we just went out and said, hey, you know what? Jesus loves you. We're a part of this community. We just want to give. And if you see Jesus in that and you're interested later, cool. If not, we still want to do it. Because we're ambassadors. We're part of this community. We're excited about it. And we want to give back. Right? The thing that happens when you do that stuff like that is that it gives your life a purpose. Right? It gives your life a point. You go. I know what it's all about, even when it's hard, even when I don't want to get up in the morning and I don't feel good, right? I still have purpose. I still have, there's a there's a point to it. All right. So the next passage I want to look at here. There's only a couple more of them, I promise. I know that this is very reading heavy. I apologize for that, but like, you just you, you got to. This is gold, right? So here it is, 1 Peter chapter two verses 24 and 25. Only a couple of verses. See, it's getting lighter as we go, yeah, right? Okay? Cool. Slide, Is that what you're giving me to look for? Okay, cool. There we go. <laughs> okay. Drum roll. All right, cool. here we go. It's talking about Jesus. Here's what he says. He personally carried our sins. Think about that. I don't even like somebody to touch my dirty laundry. Right? Like, anybody with me? Like, so this idea that he he personally carried my sin, all these things that are the darkest, deepest holes in my life, right? All of this stuff that I am the most ashamed of. He saw it. He smelled it. He looked at it and he still reached down and pulled me up out of that pit, right? He carried that sin so that I could have a relationship with God. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. I'm just going to let that sink in. Like, think about that for a second. So that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. So this is the third passage now, and I don't know if you're picking up on this, the theme here, but all three of these passages, and, and it's Paul and Peter, all three of these passages have a very similar sentence in them that refers to the, the idea of us because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and dying in our place to, to cover our sins, that this idea that we are now dead to sin because of our relationship with Him. Isn't that incredible? You feel dead to sin? Sometimes I got to keep dying. I don't know about you guys, right? It's not that Jesus didn't do it right. It's that I didn't, right? He personally carried our sin in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, and this is a reference to Isaiah, you were healed. Once you were like sheep, who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your soul. Isn't that, isn't that comforting to think about that he's the guardian of your soul? Anyway, all right. So what did this accomplish according to this passage that we just looked at, right? Forgiveness and healing. Restoration is a good word for it, right? All right got one last passage here on this whole what did it accomplish idea it's first peter chapter 3 verses 18 through 22 so it's just a couple of pages back should be an easy flip i'm working on it jess is giving me the stink eye again i'll change the slide for you <sighs> all right here we go first peter chapter 3 verses 18 through 22 here it is christ suffered for our sins once for all time isn't that great? It isn't like the old system where he had to do it over and over and over. You know, every year you had to you had to get a new lamb, right? And you had to you had to and, and, and between the years after the sacrifice until the next sacrifice, you kind of lived in this state of opu, ah, hoping it didn't do anything too terrible, right? Like there was this tension there, this this nervousness. But but Christ's sacrifice was enough to cover it for all time, forever, for everybody, which is pretty cool. I don't know if you're excited about that, but anyway, he never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. (laughs) He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago, when God waited patiently while Noah was building the boat, only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism which now saves you, not the removing of dirt from your body, but a response to God from a clean conscience. And, and I like the way the NIT or NIV says this, it's in the NIV it says it an appeal to God for a good conscience. And I like I'd have to look language-wise or maybe there's a Bible uh, more of a scholar here than me who could say for sure exactly what that is in the Greek, but I like the idea of of that it's it's an appeal to God. Like this this idea of baptism is us saying, "God, we can't do this." I'm appealing to you to fix my mess, right? I just like that that word picture better. Um, It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse twenty-two. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authority and powers have been subjected to his authority. So what did it accomplish? Salvation? We're saved because of Jesus' sacrifice. We're made clean. We can make an appeal to God to have a relationship with him because of what Jesus did on the cross. So here it is. Here's the closing ideas. All right? And it's going to be a minute, so I don't want you to get too excited yet. But but here's the closing idea it's this this is that jesus came right everybody with me so far i believe jesus physically came to earth he lived a real life and i think there's historical evidence to prove it okay jesus came lived a perfect life he died in our place oh no nope he died in our place for us so that we wouldn't have to pay the price for our sin if he's our Lord, right? After he gave his life, he was buried. He was dead for three days. And after those three days were done, he got up (laughs) like you do, right? No, you don't. He did. He resurrected from the dead. And I don't believe that's a metaphor or something shiny. I think He was physically dead, and because he is who he said he was, he physically got back up and said, what else you got? That was it? That was... So he got up, he resurrected, and in doing so, he defeated death and proved that his sacrifice was sufficient to defeat sin. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 6 say this about the idea and this is a, I think this is the last long passage we're going to look at. So here it is. Therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. Think about that for a second. Now he's seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in the struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? Think about that for a second. As his children. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. You have hard things going on in your life? Man, don't. Take a second. Look at that. See what's going on. See what God's trying to teach you through those things. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Anybody ever had God smack them because they were being dumb? Yes, I have. <clears throat> for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Stephen loaned me a, a resource here this week about this idea, uh, and I read it. And if you want to know what the name of the resource was, he can tell you later, and the author, because uh, I, don't, I don't know, I don't remember. But there was a quote in there toward the end that, that kind of plays off of this Hebrews 12 passage. And I want to I read that little excerpt to you because I think it's kind of, it it brings that Hebrews 12 idea into focus. The incarnate one exchanged his glory for the shame of the cross from the very beginning of his life. Being born in shameful circumstances, his infancy mortally threatened by a tyrant, Branded an imposter by the religious authorities from the first. Being without a place to lay his head throughout his ministry. Meeting with hostility everywhere he went. That's the life that Jesus lived. None of it was easy. And I want you to kick her. That's where the, that's where the quote ends because it's fixing to get weird. And I just want you to know that's my fault. Okay? But But continuing with this idea that this author just spoke of. I mean, think about Jesus coming here to earth. I'm talking about the Lord of all creation, the maker of heaven and earth, right? He comes down to earth and he goes through potty training. I don't know. I can't speak for everyone, but in my experience, um, mom with her cancer struggled with incontinence because it was a pancreatic cancer. It was terrible, right? And... Uh, some of the most horrible moments throughout that whole ordeal was when she was struggle with incontinence which is when you can't hold your bowels right you can't it's not possible it just and there is nothing that i can think of in this world that is more humiliating and shameful than not being able to control when you go to the bathroom right and the lord of all creation came down here as a baby Knowing before he did, he didn't come as a king. He didn't come as a full-grown man. He came as a baby, and he had to go through that humiliation from the start. I don't know if you've ever thought, and puberty. Are you kidding me? Like, if I'm God, I'm totally skipping puberty, right? Like pimples, and of course, he didn't didn't date, so it's not a thing. But, you know, like, still, it's an awkward phase of life, right? And he, he did it. And, you know, we, we, we focus so much on what he gave up on the cross, but we don't necessarily always think about what he, came up, what he gave up just by coming. Everyone wanted to argue about politics and religion. That couldn't have been fun. It's not fun now. It probably wasn't fun then, right? <laughs> and, and the thing is, is he was right. You know, you, you know how annoying it is to argue with people that are all wrong? Right? And he wasn't even a jerk about it, right? Like, he was like, okay, I love you guys. Ah, That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I love you guys. I don't know, right? (laughs) And then they murdered him in the most humiliating and degrading way possible. The God of all creation, the living Logos, the Word made flesh, he endured all that. Because he loved us and he didn't want us to go to hell. And after all that, he doesn't force us into a relationship, right? He never forces us into a relationship. He offers us a choice. He offers us an invitation. I mean, you want to talk about a gentleman, right? Jesus, Jesus is incredible, He doesn't force himself on anybody, but he he went through all that, and then he doesn't make you follow him. He says, nope, I love you, and I want you to choose. It's easy to love somebody, but it's hard not to want to control that sometimes, right? Like, you know, if I'm going to give you all this love, I want you to return it. I do, right? And you know Jesus does? He wants you to love him, Right? But he doesn't make you do it because then you'd be a robot, right? He wants you to really love him. And so what I kind of what I want to what I want to finish with today is just this idea of like he's done all this for us, right? And so often we think about this time of response and we think, oh, well, I kind of feel obligated, right? Like, I, but you know or like we think about living our lives and we just we don't want to mess up so much that we end up in hell, right? Or we want to make sure that we follow all the rules, right? And all that's okay. But I think when things really change in our lives, when they really turn around and they turn that corner and you start heading towards a life that looks more like Jesus is when you do it not because you feel like you have to, but because you love him, right? Because You've read, like, the, the way I say this to my kids and the way I say this when I was doing youth group stuff is that I don't believe anything changes in our lives until we fall in love with Jesus. Right? Like, I could stand up here and tell you all of the reasons why you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, or you should do this, and you should do that. And those are all good reasons and they're valid, right? Like, I can... I can tell you, like, culturally, here's the impact of this particular sin. And culturally, here's the impact of not taking care of your neighbor. And I can tell you all those things. But until you fall in love with Jesus and realize how much he loved you, you're never going to be able to respond in in loving him and loving the people around you. Right? Because until you fall in love with Jesus, it's still going to be broken. So my question is is for you this morning. This This is the last. This is it. Here it is okay, is some of us have been sitting in here and we've known Jesus for years, right? Like we have had a relationship for years and years and years and years and years. The reality is is that if we've got a relationship with Jesus, we've got a job to do, right? We are ambassadors for the kingdom. That means that there are people in our world who don't know Jesus who are going to die and go to hell and we need to love them enough to... To, to let that break our hearts, right? To be moved into action because we, don't, we want everybody to have the hope and joy and peace that comes from the forgiveness that we receive from Jesus, right? So those of us who have known Jesus for years and years and years, what are you going to do with him this week? What are you going to do? How are you going to leave here this week and do what are you going to do different this next week? with what you have and what you've been given. And then for those of us who are here maybe and we've never accepted a relationship with Jesus, right? Here's what I want you to hear this morning. Jesus loves you like crazy. And he is never going to force you into a relationship you don't want. But he desires to have a relationship with you deeply. He wants to lavish you with his love. He wants to pour everything he's got and everything he's given And he wants to give it to you so that you can become sons and daughters of the king. So that you can become adopted members of the family. So that when the day comes, when this world is done, you get to go home. And I don't know about you guys, but like, I want to go home real bad. (laughs) Like, um, So that's it. That's, that's that's the question. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna if you've known Jesus for years? What are you gonna do with it? If you ha, if you're just, what are you gonna do about this? Jesus is calling you. He's asking. I want a relationship with you. What do you what? What's your response? We're not gonna like sing a song and make you come forward or anything like that. But there are tons of us here that if that's a conversation you need to have would love to talk with you and would love to pray with you. Like seriously, genuinely. Um, so if that's something that you need to, to talk about, let's go. <laughs> All right. Let's pray and then I'm gonna have uh, we'll have Caden come up and lead us in communion and worship. Dearly Father, we come to you this morning and God we know that we could not have done any of this on our own. And we acknowledge your goodness and your greatness. And God, I just pray that, that this week, as we, as we leave here, all of us would be changed and moved by the way that you've loved us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't have it coming. We couldn't. We didn't even know we needed it sometimes. But Father God, we really, really did. So thank you for the way that you've loved us. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we want to love you back. Show us how.